The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. Tonight we're going to be talking about tarot. Um, Mark Horn will be our guest. He's written a book called Tarot and the Gates of Light, A Kabbalistic Path to Liberation. And he um, has a pretty interesting perspective and approach to this whole thing. Uh, we've talked with a lot of folks on this program that are either uh, students of or practitioners of tarot cards and readings. Uh, Mark takes a bit of a different pr- approach. So we've got a lot to talk about tonight. Again, we're going to be talking with uh, Mark Horn. He's an author and a tarot consultant. And we'll be talking about his book, Tarot and the Gates of Light. The book is about how to use tarot cards for the Kabbalistic practice of counting the Omer. These are all things that I don't really understand, and I'm anxious to learn about it and have uh, Mark explain it all to me. This practice is kind of like a spiritual workout over the course of 49 days to prepare a person to have a stronger container to receive the light of the divine. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tonight we're going to be talking with Mark Horn. Mark is an author and a tarot consultant. He's the author of a book called Tarot and the Gates of Light, A Kabbalistic Path to Liberation. He studied Kabbalah with academic, religious, and practical teachers of Kabbalah and organizations ranging from the highly respected to the highly unorthodox. And I won't even begin to try to pronounce some of these names, Mark. You're going to have to do it for me. (laughs) Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Let's... um, Let's get a sense of how all this started for you. Uh, I'm not sure where the best place to start is. Is is the tarot the best place to start, or is sure. is the academic stuff? I don't know which came first. Well, I, I would say the tarot came first. Actually, I was 16 years old, in fact, and um, you know, I'd, I'd really pretty much walked away from uh, organized religion. It was, uh, you know, it was just didn't feel like it was a place where I belonged. But um, there were, you know, this was the 60s, and there were lots of paths available and open to people. You know, I mean, I ended up chanting with the Guru Maharaji cultists and, you know, learning with Ram Dass, and eventually ended up studying Vipassana with the Buddhists, and that was wonderful. And one of the paths I found was the path of tarot, which is uh, very much a Western path, and many people use it for divination, for telling fortunes, but really it is meant to be used as a meditative tool for self-exploration. Is that the original intent of tarot? Well, I, I would actually say the original intent of tarot was a game. Okay. Uh, in the in the 15th century, when it first sort of came on the scene, um, you know, it's really hard to say because there were laws against it. We we don't really know how people used it. We know that they used it as a game, and we also know that they used it for meditation and for uh, fortune telling. And all of these uh, streams have come down to today, and people use it in all these different ways. Were the laws against it uh, uh, all of the above, or against it using it as a fortune telling tool, or I mean, what was well, this? What was know, the crime was, there? Again, it, 
the laws against it were uh, about using it as a fortune-telling tool, but also because it was a game, and it was a game that people gambled with, as many people do with card games. Um, and in those days, um, the church really ran everything, so that if it, it seemed immoral to them in any way, um, it was going to be uh, outlawed. Yeah, that's absolutely true. The, the, the church certainly was the center of uh, determining what was permissible and what wasn't uh, throughout the Middle Ages. Um, so you, you, you came across, you encountered tarot for the first time, and if I read what I was reading correctly, uh, part of this journey you, you discovered as you were on your way to Woodstock, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, uh, so uh, the, the person who connected me to Tarot uh, was a, a, a woman who was a science fiction writer. And I'd gone to her home to borrow her tent uh, in order to go up to Woodstock, and she gave me a reading before I went up. And when she gave me this reading, she said, you know, from what these cards say, I think you would probably be pretty good at this yourself. And the images on the cards really spoke to me. Uh, you know, I just really felt drawn in by them. So I followed her guidance. I, I went out and, and bought the deck she suggested and a couple of books that she suggested, and I haven't looked back. I've been studying ever since. That's, uh, I have to ask you, though, did you make it to Woodstock? Did you get Oh, yes. <laughs> yes I, even, even though the bus actually broke down about uh, eight miles back from the campground, and we had to walk the rest of the way. Oh. Not that traffic was going anywhere. It was all backed up. Um, but, yes, we walked in the rain to the campgrounds, and, and I was there. I have to. I have to say, I live in upstate New York, so I'm not. I'm not too far from where all that took ah. place. I'm a little too young to have attended. My parents were at the perfect age, um, but they ended up not going, which I can't understand because my father was a musician. Um, but I, I know we're not, you know, scheduled to talk about Woodstock. But I just have to know <laughs> what was it like. I mean, for some, I, I I saw a documentary very recently. I think it was on Netflix about the whole experience and how it almost didn't happen and how it completely overwhelmed the promoters and organizers. They had no idea what they had, you know, the genie they let out of the bottle there. Oh, definitely. You know, I'm, I'm probably one of the few people who not only bought a ticket, uh, but I actually still have my ticket. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's framed on the wall. And oddly enough, um, there was we, we were staying in a part of uh, the campgrounds, which was called Movement City, and there was a tent in that area where all of the Woodstock programs were in boxes, but they were never handed out. <laughs> um, nevertheless, you know, since I was there and I saw the, the, the programs, I took a handful, and I, I still have uh, five Woodstock programs to this day. Not that they're worth anything, um, but uh, they're, they're a good memory. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Wow, what, what a magical moment in not just American history, but I, I think all of history. It's pretty, pretty incredible. And they've tried to replicate it, and they just haven't been able to do it. It was, a, it was a moment in time when people came together in a particular way, and it was magic in that way, and I don't know that it is replicable. So you uh, in, you had your first reading on your way to this uh, unbelievably life-changing, probably certainly world-changing event. Um, did you consider that to be a spiritual moment for you? Uh, um, that's an interesting question, you know. Uh, I, the reading, I felt, was a spiritual moment, and there were certainly moments up at the festival that I felt really, you know, because we were there were so many of us, and I felt connected to this huge mass of people uh, in a way that I'd never felt connected 
really to all of humanity, because, uh, you know, you look at it, there were people of all ages at that festival, and people of all backgrounds, so that it was really like finding yourself kind of in heaven, uh, mind you, a heaven that was where it rained a lot, <laughs> and, you, and, and where you were staying in a field that was uh, usually a pasture for cows, so that when it got a little wet, the mud had a distinctive odor to it that was... Mm, earthy. <laughs> did you did you um, consider yourself to prior to that first tarot card reading that kind of, that, you know kind of changed things and set you on a path? Did mm. you consider yourself to be a, a sensitive anyway or any kind of uh, metaphysical uh, individual prior to that reading well, that first reading? Interesting, you know, I, I, I listened to some of your earlier uh, broadcasts to get a sense of what the show is like, and I was really struck there. You had a guest on, I guess, a few weeks ago who was talking about astral projection, and one of the things that I tried when I was 16 years old, I found a book about astral projection, and I tried it because I was interested in exploring metaphysics and the paranormal world, everything that was beyond what I was taught, um, and I followed all the instructions in the book, and I actually found myself having an out-of-body experience, which terrified me. Um, you know, I found that I, I really couldn't control any of my movement, um, and I just thought, this is a little too advanced for me. I'm not going down this path any further. Uh, but I certainly had an understanding that there were things beyond what I really understood or what I was taught that um, that we can have access to. This may be a, a chicken and the egg kind of question here, um, because I'm sure by the end of our conversation, I'm going to know the answer whether I ask the question or not. But I'll ask it. Um, you had a, uh, a, a basically a I don't know what you call it a split with your faith uh, when mm. you were young. Um, yes. Does this path? Does this story? Is it a story about you rediscovering the faith from a different set of lenses? Oh, very much so. I mean, you know, I had walked away from Judaism um, really the day after my bar mitzvah, because even at the tender age of 13, uh, I knew I was gay. And, and back in the 60s, uh, really no organized religion was going to look very kindly on that. Right. And so I said, you know, the choice between uh, what I felt was a spiritual longing for love inside and what the tradition was telling me, I, I went with what my heart said. And so it meant I had to walk away from the tradition that I grew up with, and it sent me on a, a path of looking at all of these other traditions. Um, and really, uh, I came back in my 40s after going down all of these many paths, including uh, the path of Buddhism and, and the path of Kabbalah and the path of Tarot. And uh, just as Judaism had changed by the 90s when I came back, um, so had um, really the world around us, and I had changed as well, so that uh, I found a new home in this tradition, um, that uh, I was able to sort of bring all of the mysticism that I'd learned outside. And in fact, uh, you know, what I learned from uh, Kabbalah, which really wasn't taught when I was a kid, and, you know, the, Judaism really kind of held Kabbalah at arm's length for many years because it was considered... Mm, too woo-woo for a lot of people. But the, the truth is, it really is one of the three major strands of the tradition. And when I realized this and found teachers within Judaism who were deeply rooted in this tradition, 
uh, the tradition of Kabbalah, I really found a place for my spiritual home. We're going to have to back up a little bit because we've heard the word Kabbalah, we've used the word Kabbalah, but I'm not sure those of us on this side of the conversation completely understand what it is we're talking about. Define it and explain it for us. Kabbalah is uh, the what we'll call the mystical tradition in Judaism. Um, it, it, it really is a, a kind of, it has been a secret tradition for many centuries, and only in the last... Mm, 200 years as it really started to come out into the public at large, and really only in the last 20 years have some of the major texts been translated so that uh, people at large could really uh, learn all of this uh, material. But it is, um, as I say, the hidden teaching uh, of Judaism, which is very much about um, learning to purify one's own soul for a direct connection to the divine, so that we can live in harmony with uh, the divine purpose and the birthright we were given uh, on the planet. And what what are those texts? Are those texts contemporary to biblical texts? Uh, some of them go back uh, about oh no more than twenty five hundred years, and the, the biblical texts, uh, of course, go back much further than that. Um, but uh, the Kabbalistic texts, you, you'll see some of them in the late prophets, for example. Uh, e- Ezekiel's vision uh, is a vision of uh, the chariot, and this is uh, part of the Merkava uh, mysticism and meditation that is taught in, uh, in Kabbalah. It is a particular, all of the prophets were trained in this particular kind of meditation, uh, which was um, designed to take them up, to bring them sort of to the top of the mountain so that they could have an, ex- an experience uh, with the divine face-to-face. Is there a reason, or can you offer an explanation as to why those texts and, and Kabbalah has remained somewhat uh hidden, for lack of a better word, for so many years, and within the last couple hundred uh, started to see the light of day? Well, some of the reason is that um, the teachers uh, of Kabbalah felt that it was too dangerous for some people to try these practices, that these are practices that you can't learn from a book, even though the texts are there. Uh, You really need to have a, a relationship with a teacher who has done this work so that you can be safe, because, you, can, you know, it's, it can be dangerous. There's a, a very famous story about four rabbis. It's called The Four Rabbis Who Entered the Garden. And uh, all of these rabbis study this meditation and have an experience of ascent to going through the, the different levels of the heavens. Uh, but the problem is not all of them are strong enough to hold the energy so that one of them dies, one of them goes mad, one of them becomes a heretic, and only one of them has, you know, an experience of divine energy and returns in peace. And the rabbis have used this as a kind of a proof text to say, this is not really for everyone, and you really need a firm grounding uh, in a particular kind of practice in order to do this without any kind of danger. We have to go to break here in just a couple of minutes. I want to shift the discussion back to uh, Terrell for a second. Um, sure. You know, our, our popular 
perception or conception of tarot, you know, comes from Hollywood probably. You know, it's gypsies and, and wagons you know, rolling across Europe or wherever it happens to be, and, uh, you know, with a crystal ball and tarot cards. Is there any truth to that? Or is, uh, where does that come from? Well, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, the Roma people have used the cards and have used uh, crystals uh, for uh, fortune-telling. Uh, so that is certainly uh, part of the history of tarot, but it's only part of the history of tarot. We're talking with Mark Horn. Mark is an author and a tarot consultant. He's got a book called Tarot and the Gates of Light, A Kabbalistic Path to Lib- Liberation. Uh, Mark, is the book new? Is it just out? It's just out. It came out in January. Yep. Well, congratulations. Um, Thank you. Before we get to the book specifically, because your book takes a very, very unique approach approach to all of this that we've been talking about already, um, but it's it, I'm just very, very curious about tarot and, and, and some of the meanings and, and how it works. So offer for me, if you will, an idea of where does the energy that affects these cards to offer people guidance of any kind, regardless of what it is, where does that energy come from? way, but we'll actually have to turn to the Kabbalah to answer that question, because the structure of the tarot deck is based on certain Kabbalistic teachings. The core symbol uh, in Kabbalah is something called the Tree of Life, uh, and there are mm, 10 central energies in that tree, and and 22 paths between those 10 energies. When you look at the tarot deck, the there's, uh, it's divided into two groups. There's uh, one set of cards called the Major Arcana, and there are 22 of those cards, just as there are 22 paths uh, in the Tree of Life. And in fact, there are also 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet that all of these paths and these cards correspond to. And, um, you know, Kabbalists believe that these letters carry vibrational energies so that when you connect them to the cards, they themselves also carry those energies. And if, so, if someone, I mean, I've, one of the things I've always marveled about uh, tarot cards is the beautiful artwork involved. Um, I mean, they're really, really quite fascinating just from that perspective alone. But do the cards have specific meanings? In other words, does, does a, I don't know, give me an example of a card. I know there's a death card, right? Yes. Does the death yes. card have the same meaning every time it, it shows up? because uh, the card is always, the meaning of the card changes based on the position in the layout and the cards that are next to it, because all of the cards are in a grand relationship so that they affect each other. Okay, so they, so they work as a whole. Uh, it's yes. not just not, yes. okay. And, and is there a certain level of energy received by the reader, some type of divine, I don't know if it's divine or where spiritual energy that comes to the reader that guides them through the meanings uh, as cards are played for someone getting a reading? Well, I think different readers uh, experience it differently. I I don't think of myself as an intuitive reader who is connected to those energies. Nevertheless, there are times when I'm reading and all of a sudden something comes through from somewhere. Somehow I connect to a different level of reality. I have access to information I wouldn't have had otherwise. And, uh, you know, when I'm reading for someone, I will often say to them, I don't know where this is coming from, uh, but I'm going to say this and tell me if it means anything to you. And then I'll say what's coming through. And almost all of the time, it is accurate information. 
as you're giving someone a reading or as the recipient is getting the reading, is the reading giving them a glimpse into their a, a, a possible future, their certain future, their uh, inner soul? What is the, What door is being opened up as you give someone a reading? Uh, well, generally, you know, I don't say that there is a, a definite future because we all have free will. Um, so what the cards show are possible futures based on various choices that people can make. Uh, people come with questions, and these questions always, you know, they, they, people need to make a decision when they come with a question. So when we lay out the cards, we see what the possible results of different decisions that they might make might be. And so when you look at the cards in this way, it kind of helps people take a step back from the issue that they're in to get a more of a bird's eye view so that they can see the whole lay of the land, see things a little more clearly and dispassionately, so then they can make a, a decision based on what's in their heart and what they know rather than sort of out of reaction um, uh, or blind confusion. So the good news, then, in, in one respect, is if you get a reading that may offer some warnings of some kind, uh, you have an opportunity to take that information and apply it to the decisions you're making as you move forward and maybe avoid those things that you were being warned about. Oh, very definitely. Um, as, you, as you give individual readings, do you find that uh, that some people... Do people react differently? Uh, what is the general reception? I mean, some people go to psychics because they think it's entertainment. Some people go because they truly believe they're getting some kind of spiritual guidance. What kind of people do you see when you give tarot card readings? Well, I see the full range because, you know, I have read at parties where people have sort of come in uh, expecting entertainment. Right. And, and oftentimes, you know, I, I treat it because at a party you want to be entertaining. So sure. that's how I treat it. But sometimes, you know, you'll put the cards down and there'll be information there. And I will look at, you know, the person I'm reading for and say, okay, um, you know, this is, there's some information here and um, I want permission from you to be very personal because I, I see something here that I'd like to say, but it's, it's a little personal. So let me know if that's okay. And only if I am given permission to sort of go into some deeper things will I go there. Because not everybody wants to hear those kinds of things. Let's uh, move toward the book a little bit. Um, there's another, I think, definition we need to get out of the way so we, we're going to understand exactly what you wrote about here. And that's the Omer, counting the Omer. What, is, what does that mean? is a, a biblical commandment uh, in the Hebrew Bible uh, that between the period of Passover, the, the time when the ancient Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt, to uh, 50 days later when they arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai to receive uh, the Ten Commandments and the Torah, um, those 49 days in between, uh, we are commanded to count those days. And as we are counting those days, we are also doing very specific meditations based on those ten energies that I mentioned earlier on the tree, about from the tree of life. So that by doing those meditations, we're uh, going from when you know you think of this as an inner journey from your own inner slavery or your own sort of moving from 
a spiritual childhood to spiritual responsibility and adulthood. So over the course of 49 days, it's kind of like you're in a spiritual gym and you're doing all of these exercises to strengthen your soul so that at the end of those 49 days, you are better prepared to receive a revelation yourself because a part of the Kabbalistic belief about this period is at the end of the 49 days, you are in fact at your own Mount Sinai and ready to receive information from the divine, whatever that might be. And um, the reason I brought tarot cards into it, oddly enough, is that the tarot deck uh, is structured, based, as I said, on, on the tree of life, so that you can actually see the energies at work in these cards. And sometimes when you're working with these Kabbalistic energies, without the cards, they seem a little abstract. But you yourself said when you look at the cards, you know, you have a reaction because there are images of people and all kinds of situations, and they sort of elicit a reaction that helps you go within. And all of these images, in fact, are connected to these energies so that when you work with the images, you are directly connected to that energy. If um, I met you on a street corner and, and you said, I just wrote a book, and, and, and I asked you the title, and I said to you, what is that about? How would you describe it? Uh, well, I, what I'd say, it's a spiritual workbook. Uh, it's uh, designed to help you go from uh, your everyday life to strengthening your inner spiritual life so that you're better able to hold uh, greater light within yourself and that you're able to direct the divine light that is within you in all of your relationships. So you learned tarot at a young age. Uh, you obviously studied all of this a great deal throughout the course of your life, and you decided to bring it all together in this book. When did that epiphany occur, and uh, what made you decide to actually write it down for everyone to enjoy? Huh. Well, uh, I, you know, I started counting the Omer myself uh, in the 90s when I first learned about the practice and, and did it for a few years, and, and I'd been learning Kabbalah all of that time, and all of a sudden, because I'd been doing tarot all of this time, I thought, oh, it just occurred to me, you can put these things together. Uh, you know, you never really, you know, if you're being sort of very traditionally Jewish, um, you would never bring the tarot in. But of course, I'm hardly traditional. And I realized you could put these things together. So I started practicing with it. And I started to write about it on a blog that I had in the, um, the early 2000s called Another Queer Jewish Buddhist, because in that way I sort of cross a lot of boundaries. You know, I consider myself uh, a Buddhist and a Jew. Uh, both of these traditions speak to me. And in that way I'm a boundary crosser, just as I am also gay. So in all of these ways I'm kind of queer. And I figured I would count online I would uh, each day write about my experience working with the cards. And as I did that, lots of people responded to the blog and asked me how I was doing it and tried it themselves and told me their experience. And I did it for several years online, and I realized, oh, this is actually material for a book. I should actually write it all down because it is good information, and it is affecting people who see it online. They have a really profound experience, just as I was having a profound experience using it myself. So I thought, this is something that I need to share. 
and I'm, you know, I worked on it for a number of years to really make it easy for people who are unfamiliar with these traditions, because there are people who read this book who have no understanding and no knowledge of Kabbalah, and there are people who come to it with no um, knowledge of tarot cards, and I want people to get the value of the experience, so that I worked very hard to make it something that, even if you don't have any of that background, you'll be able to work with this pretty quickly. I know that uh, you have addressed some of these questions already, um, but I want to kind of ask them point blank and get a, get sure. a, a more direct answer. So when we talk about tarot and we talk about, talk about Kabbalah, how do the two connect? Well, so as I say, there's, um, there are ten energies in the Tree of Life. They're called sephirot. Uh, they're sort of analogous to the chakra system, if you're familiar with that, um, because all of these energies live within us, but they are also uh, throughout all of creation. And uh, when you look at um, the tarot deck, uh, in each of the four suits, there are ten numbered cards. And each of those numeric cards correspond to one of these sephirot, one of these tree of life energies. Um, and then, of course, uh, you have the major arcana, the 22 cards, which correspond to the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, which are the pathways between these energies. And uh, then you have the four different suits. And within Kabbalah, there is also the teaching that there are four levels of one's soul and four different worlds that one can experience. So that each suit represents one of those levels of your soul. Uh, Each numeric card represents uh, one of these energies which connects to a certain part of your own body uh, and a certain energy within the universe itself. And, and of course, the major arcana cards uh, are the glue that hold it all together. One of the, I'm sure you've seen the, the, the movie The Matrix, one of my favorite films, and there's a, mm-hmm. a scene when uh, Neo sort of is looking into the world and he sees through reality to this cascade of letters and numbers, so that it looks like all of reality is made up of letters and numbers. And actually, that is what the deepest Kabbalah teaching is, that reality is letters and numbers, sound and vibration. And it is through the direction of the divine, using all of those vibrations, that actually creates the reality we experience. And by studying these different energies, you can touch these um, realities more clearly, see through into a a deeper experience, and and touch and connect with the divine plan, not only for yourself, but for the world. How do you um, reconcile being a Jew, but also being a Buddhist, are there is there conflict? <laughs> is, is there conflict there at all? I mean, I, I find it interesting because um, you know I hear so many people uh, finding a lot of answers in these Eastern uh, theo- uh, you know ideas, um, and clearly you did as well. Um, but are they are they at conflict at all? Uh, well, it uh, depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, for me, they are they're they're not. Although it's interesting, you know, because the Buddhists don't believe in a soul. And Jews certainly believe right. in the soul. And, and my experience, actually, when I was doing some of my deepest Buddhist meditation, was that I came up against my soul, and it felt to me that it was profoundly Jewish. Uh, so that my deepest Buddhist meditation is part of what brought me back to Judaism. But the interesting thing is that, you know, within Buddhism, they, they talk about nirvana. Uh, and in Judaism, 
um, you don't actually, so the, I, I haven't used the word God yet. You've only heard me use the word divine. That's right. Uh, and there's a reason for that. God is, is a title, and in Judaism, um, uh, the divine has a name, or has many names, but they're all descriptors, because the reality is uh, Jews believe that if you can name something, then you have control over it. But the divine is something that we have no control over. It has control over us, but we have no control over it. We can't describe it. It is beyond our experience. Um, and so one of the, the descriptions is Ein um, Sof, is one of the uh, Hebrew uh, names for this experience, and it means the unending infinite. And when you look at the definition of nirvana, it is exactly the same thing. Both paths ultimately lead to this same place where we go beyond uh, our limited senses as human beings to experience from our consciousness, we are able to connect to the divine consciousness, what Christians would call Christ consciousness, what Buddhists would call Buddha consciousness, what uh, Jews would call messianic consciousness. It is touching the divine at that level that transforms your life. I, I, for, forgive me if any of these questions are naive. Um, I don't mean them to be. But there, just... there are no naive questions. Everybody comes from the place where they're starting, and everybody learns what they need to learn. So based on what you said, can I assume, or maybe you just answer, do you believe in the supreme being that we have titled God, some of us have, have titled God? Well, I, I don't believe in a, in a, you know, a hairy thunderer up in the clouds. Right you know, pointing fingers and sending people to hell. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, but I do believe that there is this, what I'll call, this consciousness that is the root of all being. And it is from that um, consciousness that pervades the entire universe that uh, is where we get all of our gifts and our, our own consciousness. We are all um, petals on this very large flower. And is that consciousness the same consciousness that might be defined in different ways, like Judaism and Christianity and Buddhism and, you know, any of the other myriad of uh, uh, belief systems that might be there, that Islam is another one, obviously, that, yes. that touches some type of divine consciousness? Uh, is it, are, we, are they all referring to the same consciousness, do you believe? Uh, I believe so, ultimately. I mean, everybody, because we're all different people and we all have our own sensorium, our own senses, we experience these things a little differently based on our culture and the culture that we grew up in. And because we grew up in different cultures, we're limited by those definitions. But when you get past those cultures and those definitions, ultimately, where you end up is this unified consciousness that goes across all of them. Tonight, of course, we're talking with Mark Horn, author and tarot consultant. We're talking about his book, Tarot and the Gates of Light, A Kabbalistic Path to Liberation. Liberation is an important word in the title, Mark. Tell us why. Well, uh, so as I said, mythologically speaking, um, the path uh, that this follows is the path of freeing uh, ourselves from the spiritual Egypt inside so that we can go to the 50th day when we're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai and we are free to look at the divine face to face. 
It is freeing ourselves from all of those things that hold us enslaved and keep us from our birthright of relationship with the divine. So one of the things I, I meant to ask you earlier when we started talking about Kabbalah to begin with, I've seen it spelled a lot of different ways. Mm. Uh, with a Q, with a C, is there any difference in those meanings or just different ways of spelling it? Well, uh, actually, uh, there is. Uh, so uh, when you see it, uh, when you see Kabbalah written with a K, generally speaking, it's not always true, but generally speaking, it's referring to the original Jewish tradition as it is passed down through the centuries. Um, in the Middle Ages, uh, as some uh, people began to, outside of Judaism, began to learn something about Kabbalah, there were many Christian mystics who were interested in learning about it, and some of the texts were translated into Latin at that time. And so these Christian Kabbalists began to study this as well, and uh, that tradition is spelled with a C. Uh, then by around the 17th, 18th century, there were uh, occult mystics, hermeticists, who were also, uh, you know, Freemasons, Rosicrucians, who also began to study uh, these Kabbalistic texts, and they connected it to a, uh, a wisdom tradition going back even uh, before Judaism uh, to uh, the Sumerians and uh, even further back than that, so that uh, that tradition of Kabbalah is spelled with a Q. We know what tarot is generally. We've, we've talked about that a lot on this program, but we haven't talked about Kabbalistic tarot. So is there a difference between the two? Well, uh, what I'm saying is that ultimately the structure of the tarot deck is based on Kabbalistic teachings. Right. Not everybody knows this. Not everybody reads it with that understanding. But when you study Kabbalah and then you actually work with the deck in that particular way, you have a very different experience of the meanings of the cards and the energies that they bring into the world. You um, said that you started this project uh, online. You were you were experimenting, you were testing, you were trying, and you really uh, uh, were pleased with your results. And you decided to put it into book form. I'm assuming you still practice this. I'm assuming that this is something that's an, that's an aggregate that continues to uh, uh, improve every time you practice, right? Oh, very much so. I mean, it, it, well, it is a practice that uh, traditionally is done every year uh, from the second night of Passover to the 50th day uh, later, which is called, with the holiday of, of Pentecost. Uh, which is both a Jewish holiday and a Christian holiday. Uh, in Judaism, it is the celebration of receiving the law on Mount Sinai, a revelation. And for Christians, it is the uh, revelation of the tongues of fire that descended upon the apostles so that they were able to speak in tongues and pass the revelation of uh, the story of Christ to everyone who had uh, come to Jerusalem, even if they were from other countries. Uh, the apostles were able to speak to them in their own language. So both traditions uh, look at it from a point of view, this holiday uh, of revelation. And every year during this period, I do this practice, as people all around the world do this practice. Not everybody does it with tarot cards, but over the last few years, people have started to. And uh, it has been a real uh, a joy for me to see how much deeper people are able to go by doing that. 
does the I guess I assume I would go with the Jewish community, and I, I mean the religious community, the rabbis, the the, the educated uh, religious elders, if you will, of the Jewish community. Do they look at what you're doing, and do they find um, truth in it? Do they have uh, an argument with it? What's their position? Well, you know, uh, saying Judaism is like saying Christianity. There are are lots of flavors, right? right? You know, in Christianity, there are Lutherans, there are Pentecostalists, there are Baptists, you name it. In Judaism, you have Orthodox, you have Hasidim, you have Renewal, you have Reconstructionists, you have Conservative. So depending upon what, you know, division, what denomination you're talking to, and then you know, who you're talking to in that denomination, you'll find people who'll be saying, this is heretical, and you'll be, you know, finding people who'll say, this is a thing of beauty. Uh, just last week, I, I spoke at a synagogue in New York uh, that's in the renewal tradition, and the rabbi there found this to be uh, of great value. And when you look at the book, you'll see that there are endorsements from rabbis. It was very important for me to uh, find rabbis who understood what I was doing and saw the value of it, because I want Jews, um, I want everybody, but Jews who know this practice, to, and, uh, to see this not as something that is really uh, heretical, but as something that can actually take them deeper. And I want uh, people of every tradition to see the beauty that this path can bring them, whether you're Jewish or not, um, it is a 49-day, as I say, spiritual workout. Connect the dots for us between, again, using the tarot to help it with the practice of counting the Omer. So each day um, there are two of these energies in relationship that you are, uh, when you count, uh, the, you know, each day there are two of these sephirot. And what you do is you take the two cards that correspond to these sephirot, to these energies, and you look at them and you uh, consider how what they mean in relationship to that energy. So as an example, um, you know, the, the day two energy is called givura, uh, and it means it has a lot of different uh, uh, meanings, but one way of looking at it is structure and organization. Um, and it, it's a way of channeling energy. Uh, and the first day is chesed. It's all about love, but it's love without condition. So like hot lava coming out of a volcano, it rushes over everything in its path, because that's the power of love. Uh, and so you need both chesed and givura in relationship so that givura can channel that energy in a particular way. So on the day that, for example, you're looking at the givura that is in chesed, because each day you have two of these energies in relationship, you have to ask, okay, so in what ways does my love uh, go out in a way that is unstructured? Uh, am I able to channel my love in a way that is effective in the world, or am I scattered? And reversing that, you can also say, okay, am I so organized, and am I so into the structure of it that the love gets lost, because I'm so into being nitpicky about organizing things, so that even if I'm doing this uh, organization out of a motivation of love, it gets lost in the details. And so when you, and when you look at the cards and the images on the cards, they actually bring up these very questions, and they help you see how those energies 
are at work in your life. Do you have to be, and I know you, you, you actually already answered this, but I think it's important to make it a, a specific point. Do you have to be Jewish to either, A, understand it, B, feel the uh, benefits of, of doing this, or C, even understanding it from a, 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 an inflection standpoint? Uh, I, well, I, you know, I've done this with people who aren't Jewish, and they certainly get the benefit. It, you, 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 do, you do need to learn some concepts that you might be not familiar with. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've really worked to make them very easy to understand, and in a way that, uh, even though they're very deep, uh, the truth is, things that are really deep are also very simple. We often overcomplicate things. <laughs> and even when I explain things sometimes, it's more complicated than when I've written it down. Uh, because, you know, as I, it all tumbles out of my head, it all comes out, um, you know, the way I've experienced it all of these years. But for each person, they come across these things in an individual way, and the information um, enters them in just the way that they need it so that they are able to work with these energies in exactly the way that is helpful for them. The uh, Counting the Omar is 49 days, mm-hmm. um, and it traditionally starts the day after Passover, but can this mm-hmm. be done any time, or do you have to just do it that one time a year? Um, well, actually, uh, if you do it during that one time of year, because you're doing it at the same time that people all over the planet are doing it, you sort of pick up the energy of that morphic field, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, because all of those people are creating a shared energy field. But you can really do it any time, and I have done it at any time. And and in fact, when I uh, did this uh, uh, talk at the synagogue the other week, uh, there was a woman who came who had uh, had picked up my book in January when she first got it, and she was was now in the uh, fifth week uh, as she was working the steps. And we talked about it, and I realized... Yes, you know, I mean, I've done it at different times, but to see her actually doing it and getting the same value, even though it was the middle of February, um, certainly not around any of these holiday times, but she was doing the work and connecting to the energy, and that's what worked. How much of this is is actually exploring and discovering and then appreciating the divine within yourself? Oh, that is entirely what it is. Uh, all of this is... is, is designed to help you clear away the blockages that you have within so that because we're all, all connected to the divine every one of us uh, is made is uh, the hebrew phrase is elohim we are all made in the image of god and but we're not able always to see that and this entire practice is designed to help you not only see the god that is within you but also to help you connect with the God and the divine that is within all humanity. It is a path of love, and a path of love for all humanity, and love for yourself, because the divine loves all of us. You know, I don't see a natural connection between the tarot cards and the uh, practice of counting the Omer. Um, you've, you came upon this through, I, I would say, some trial and error and some experimentation. Um, mm-hmm. Was that a real aha moment for you? Yes, it certainly was. Uh, you know, I mean, I had been, as I said, I'd been studying Kabbalah, and I'd been studying the cards, and because the structure of the, the deck is, is based on the Kabbalah, and the uh, counting of the Omer is uh, based on Kabbalistic meditations, 
the they actually dovetailed together perfectly. Uh, I was really stunned when I saw the connection and was surprised that no one else had seen it in all of these years, except, of course, you know, there are very few people who are doing this practice uh, since for many years counting the Omer was done uh, because it was it's a Kabbalistic practice. It was done only within mystical Jewish communities and only, I'd say, in the last hundred years has this practice spread um, beyond the, that group so that uh, between the Kabbalistic teachings now being more widespread and the Omer practice becoming more widespread, and in fact, tarot really uh, suffusing all of our culture, uh, all of these things come together in a way that make it easy for this to happen. Mark, I think you must be the most polite person I've ever had on the program, because I've been saying Omer this whole time, and apparently it's pronounced Omer. As I listened to you in that last answer, I've been mispronouncing it, and you didn't you didn't say a word to me. Well, there's no reason to correct you. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, it's not the pronunciation of the word. Um, it really is the meaning that you get from doing the practice. You know, you, you can say these words any way you want, um, but really, it's the meaning of them that's important. Do you have to have um, a knowledge of tarot to begin with, or um, even um, Judaism, or religion as a whole, to actually uh, be able to take your book, use it as a guide, practice what it what it's telling you to practice, and, and, and receive the benefit? Does Do you need any prerequisites to get into that? Well, I think you need a spiritual curiosity and an open mind and an open heart, but you don't need any background in Judaism, and you certainly don't need any background in Kabbalah or Tarot. Uh, I, you know, I give everybody in the book a very basic understanding of these um, concepts, and then each day as we uh, come up against these energies and the images on the cards, I walk everybody through them. I explain it so that then you're able to look at them and have your, uh, your own experience. I share my experience as a way of helping uh, the reader open to their own experience, because my experience is not going to be what the reader experiences. Each of, each of us has our own uh, connection to these images and to these energies. But by showing how I do it, it, it helps other people uh, make those connections themselves. And, and I've seen other people do it, so I, I know it works. Mark, you... Um, have, teach you teach tarot. You teach you you give private readings. You do consultations. You do a lot of stuff, and all of that is outlined on uh, on your website. But is there anything that you like to do the most? Oh, well, I love teaching. Actually, I, although it's funny, I, I gave a reading just last night, and I have to tell you that when I do a certain kind of, when I do a tree of life reading, which I, I often refer to as a kind of an MRI of someone's soul, you know, it really helps somebody see through to all of their um, uh, spiritual strengths and weak spots, the things they need to work on in themselves, and really what their life's mission is, why they're incarnated on the planet at the time. And when I do that kind of reading, I, I, I feel so honored that someone has given me the gift of seeing in deeply into the, who they are. Um, it's such, um, it is a gift, and I, I just, I'm profoundly moved every time it happens. So that I, I often feel like I have found my own 
path in life uh, by receiving the gift of other people's lives in my life and being able to reflect back to them uh, what they need to know. One thing I've I noticed as well in the book is that you chose to reveal a lot of personal struggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made you choose to do that? Well, so one of the things about doing this work uh, is that in order to open up to the divine within yourself, you need to look past and through all of your own personal struggles. And in order to give people the courage and to show people how it is done, I felt that it would be um, cowardly if I were not to actually reveal some of my own struggle, that by revealing my own struggle and showing that, in fact, one's struggle with these difficult issues are, in fact, the way to the divine, um, that other people would be able to face it themselves. They wouldn't feel so alone in their uh, struggle. And I think that's important. You wrote, you've, you've written about in, in this book your, your uh, struggles with spirituality and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, do these sections have meaning for people who are heterosexual? Oh, very definitely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, heterosexual people all the time feel that, and there's this uh, sort of um, duality in Western culture, that sex is bad, sex is evil, um, and, you know, that's part of the the joke of the story of of the Garden of Eden. You know, uh, Eve eats the apple, uh, all of a sudden they see they're naked, they're having sex, and they're thrown out. Uh, And that's you know, when you look at the Kabbalistic meaning of that story, it really, that's not what the story is about at all. But um, it's important, I think, for people to look at their relationship to sex and how they feel about it and where they feel dirty, perhaps, or where they feel that something they might do is unacceptable in the face of the divine. And one of the things we need to learn is that um, really... God loves us, and there is no part of us that is unacceptable to the divine. That doesn't mean that we can't transgress or do things that are wrong, but it, at the same time, uh, you know, we, as I said, we're made in the image of God, and uh, all of our love and the way we express our love is part of that divine gift. Uh, one of the things of, uh, in Judaism is that there is none of this shame about sexuality, and in fact, it is important on uh, Friday night, uh, Kabbalistically speaking, if one is heterosexual, um, to have marital relations, because it is uh, a unification of the divine energies. Uh, Kabbalistically, uh, we believe that uh, the divine God is not male and is not female, but transcends both. And the only way that we as human beings can have that experience uh, or to touch that experience is either through the deepest meditation or through sex, but sex that is also connected spiritually, um, not sex that is acting out. And, you know, it's taken me many years uh, because, you know, I was brought up to feel ashamed of uh, being gay and you know, one of the things I really struggled with is learning what the gift of my sexuality is and how that brings me closer to God. We're almost out of time. Um, and I, I, I've kind of asked this before, too, but in all seriousness, when somebody buys your book, reads it, 
engages in the practices that you outline in it. Uh, what do you hope they walk away with? I hope they come away with a greater self-love, greater love for all of humanity, and an experience of seeing the divine at work in our lives every day, seeing how creation sparkles around us with the divine energy so that we're never separate from it. The book is available uh, in, on your website. I know you have information about it, but where else can people find it? Well, I'm in, in good bookstores anywhere. And, of course, uh, on my publisher's website, the publisher is Inner Traditions. Of course, you'll find it on Amazon. But um, I, I urge you to go out and uh, support an independent bookstore. Mark, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm getting a thank lot of uh, a lot of thank, thank a lot of thank yous to me coming through the chat room for bringing you on the program. So you made me look really good, and I appreciate that as well. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, and uh, please send me uh, information where I can actually look at the chat room, so I can uh, actually, if there are any questions from those folks, I'd be happy to answer them. All right, terrific, and uh, we'll hope to have you back on again too. Thank you so much. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.